Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. She Reads Truth creates beautiful, accessible Bible reading plans and resources to help you get into God's Word every day. Each week here on the podcast, we talk about what we're going to read together as a community this week. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And friends, this is the fifth and final week of our This is the Church series. What a series. Oh, it's been so good. Everyone is our favorite. Every new series is our favorite <laughs> series. But today we're joined by our new friend, Ann Lincoln Hullabaugh. Ann Lincoln serves as the Associate Minister of Families at the Village Church in Denton, Texas, where she loves teaching God's Word and nurturing faith in others and drawing them to behold the beauty of God's good world. I'm so glad she does that. Thank you for all of you out there who minister to families. This is such a good conversation and a really sweet way to round out the series. And this conversation blessed both of us it a did. lot. Yes. It was just a joy and a privilege to talk with Ann Lincoln. And I think you're going to feel the same. Let's get right to it. Ann Lincoln, welcome to the She Reads Truth podcast. I am so happy that you're here. Thank you. So happy to be with you guys. I don't know where our team found it, but we found your testimony. And I had the privilege of reading that before last night before we recorded this morning. And I was just so encouraged by your testimony because it's unique in some ways and it's just special. And I'm one of the things I'm really excited about is to have a guest in this series who didn't grow up in the church. I'd love for you to tell us more about that, but as I understand sure. it, you came to Christ as a teenager and really mm-hmm. engaged with the local church for the first time as a college student. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's right. I have some I have some really sweet memories of being a small child in the church. I remember being in big church, this beautiful Methodist church with my parents when I was very little and Christmas Eve and Easter, Palm Sunday. Those are the memories that I have of being in the church and around the practices of God's people. But in terms of belonging to a community of faith and consistent exposure to Bible teaching, that was just not a part of my growing up. Yeah. And I was invited to a church camp by my best friend in the summer after seventh grade. And that's where I came to faith, where God opened my heart to believe the gospel and made me a new creation and gave me new life and a hunger and thirst to know Him. But I did not, uh, my faith was not nurtured in the context of a local church, even though I knew that that was important until I went to college. And that was something that was very important to me as I stepped into that season of, you know, practice adulthood a little bit. Uh finding a local community of faith, which was so significant in just my flourishing as a Christian. That was very important to me. I remember the day that I placed membership as a freshman in college, my first little church out in Abilene, Texas. And that's been a significant part of my life, certainly as a Christian and vocationally as a minister. All of that trajectory was set by stepping into the community of God's people. I love that. And it's so sweet to me also, because you were telling about, you know, that you first really came to Christ at a camp, at a church camp. And I was thinking like, praise the Lord for the adults who cared for kids, like who minister to kids. And now, like you just said, like, that's you. Like, you now vocationally minister to children and have Mm -hmm. for, is it 15 years now? Almost 18. It'll be 18 here in just a couple of weeks. I think about that often. It's been my whole adult life. And yeah. A joy. I mean, just so sweet to have that full circle. I love, I love that. that. Yeah. 
So should we read our list of topics for this week? Yes. Okay. So it's our last. This is week five of five. And we're going to look to Scripture to teach us how the church is called to prayer. Mm -hmm. The church is a people in progress. The church is reconciled to God and one another. The church is a shepherded flock. And the church is a persevering people. It's going to be a good week. It's a good way to end, I think, especially with that persevering list. Yeah. Isn't it? In a tall order. Uh Exactly. As I read through those things, I think like it's one of the many, many, many both ands of the gospel, right? That like this is who we are. And also, Lord, please help us to be (laughs) these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. To live according to who we are. Right. Exactly. Right. Live according to who we are. That's good. I'm going to write that down. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) But it seems even that statement, this is one of the reasons I get fired up about this, well, most things with Scripture, but like with this reading plan is that that seems so simple and what you just said is so logical. Of course we should live according to who we are. Man, is it hard. And we have opposing forces. You know, we just recently did a study on the armor of God, you know, and acknowledging that there is an enemy Mm -hmm. who his full time job is to keep us from living according to who we are. Yeah, right. It's a very different approach to uh, self improvement of like being my best (laughs) self or just try um, harder. Yeah, be a better version of me. No, no, no. Just like live more according to who God made you to be, who you are, who you're called to be. That's beautiful. And speaking of being called, this first Monday reading from day 29, the church is called to prayer. Uh, And it opens with 1 Timothy 2 passage, which we know because we've recently been in 1 Timothy as a community, but this is Paul writing to Timothy. And you guys remember, Timothy's a pastor. So Paul is telling him as an individual, but really also as a leader of Mm -hmm. a congregation to pray. I'm going to read that as we, just as we start out, you know, digging into this week's reading. From 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1, Paul says, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. I think there's just so much there. I love when somebody who is close to God and walking with God says, this is good, and it pleases God. We pay attention to that. We underline that, and then we ask, okay, what is that thing? Mm -hmm. And I love that it's also this invitation to pray and intercede and give thanksgiving for everyone. But overall, it's just this call to prayer. Yeah. Yes, it's not unclear. <laughs> Petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. <laughs> everyone. Right. For everyone. Yeah. 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 It's not like, well, actually, that word means yeah. only the people you want. No, no. Yeah. This is a word that means what we think it means. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. And we get, you know, Jesus is so gracious to teach us in the Gospels to teach us how to pray. And we get to read the Lord's Prayer, which, again, this is not unclear. It said the CSB, I love it when the CSB words things like this, therefore, you should pray like this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, just pray like this. Mm -hmm. Here's a format that you can use to pray. And it has been so helpful for me as a believer, and really in like the past, I don't know, several years, that when I find myself 
either like lacking the words to pray or feeling so overwhelmed. This is really the thing is feeling so overwhelmed by praying for everyone, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, or, right. you know, and all the things and all the things that are weighing on me. It's been so helpful for me to have the Lord's Prayer to use as a framework to walk me yeah. through prayer. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think this is Jesus' intention as he is mm-hmm. teaching his disciples to pray. He's giving them this model prayer as an anchor point, just as you were sharing. I think that's his intention. And when I think about the seeds of faith that were sown in my life, even you know, thinking about there wasn't connection to a local community, but in God's grace, I remember learning this prayer. I had a children's Bible, and this is one of the first things that I learned. And one of the only things that I knew from scripture and about scripture throughout my childhood. And this prayer has been a part of my, this has been a part of my spiritual formation and interaction with the Lord from the time that I was very, very small. And I know some people can think about prayers like this as becoming rote Mm -hmm. and too familiar and losing their significance or power. And I think that there's you know, that's something to be mindful of where that happens with scripture mm-hmm. or any sort of form. Goodness, we we don't want that. But this has been a bedrock for me. Yeah. yeah. And the thing that I love, even as we, you know, look at this day's reading, the Hebrews 4 passage, it just, I think when I get discouraged about my view of the economy of prayer, mm-hmm. I love reading this encouragement for boldness. When I think if I pray for this, then I shouldn't probably also pray for this, you know, which mm-hmm. is a dumb thing or like, I should be praying for these big things. Why would I pray about this small thing? Mm -hmm. But instead encouraged to approach the throne with boldness, right? Mm -hmm. Ann Lincoln, would you read that for us, that Hebrews 4, 14 through 16? I'd love to. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hmm. I love this passage. It is, I mean, it's beautiful in so many ways for so many reasons, but there is such confidence with which it is written, commended, and it spurs us to have great confidence that we have a Christ who has gone before us. And because of his work, we are forgiven. We have access to the Father by faith. He does not despise us in our weakness. He knows that we're (laughs) weak, that we need help, that we don't know what we ought to pray for, that we need heaps of mercy and grace. We're going to have lots of times of need individually and collectively. And so he bids us come. Approach mm-hmm. the throne of grace. Keep coming, keep coming, because He loves us. Yeah. And yeah. He has the power and compassion to heal and move and strengthen and comfort and do all of the things that He's promised to do. Mm-hmm. And he wants mm-hmm. us to ask. Oh, and that line that let us hold fast to our confession. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it obviously, it makes me oh. think immediately of last week, you know, where we talked about that we're a people, the church is a people 
that preserves the message. Mm-hmm. Um, but even like I thought about that more, like what does it mean when like when the writer of Hebrews says, let us hold fast to our confession? I also think part of it is like if we confess that we have access to Jesus because of his person and his work, let's hold fast to that. Let's be like you yeah. said, and Lincoln, let's live according to who we are. Right. Yes. And I know we'll get to it here in a few minutes, but I think that I mean, let us hold fast to our confession. It's not the first or only time that's going to come up in Hebrews. And I think the scriptures are acknowledging there's a reason you have to be told to hold fast, to be encouraged. Yeah, There are going to be temptations to drift. There uh-huh. are going to be seasons of suffering and persecution that lead you to weakness and temptation to let go. Yeah. And part of how we persevere in the faith and hold fast to this confession is we keep coming to Jesus together as a community, as a people. Which is the perfect transition into the next day because the church is a people in progress. I mean, that is that we're being called to hold fast to our confession, knowing that we will not always hold fast. And we need that reminder for ourselves and for each Mm -hmm. other, because indeed we are a people in progress. In the introduction to this study, we described the church as holy and imperfect. We said that the Mm -hmm. church consists of flawed people exclusively. (laughs) Unfortunately, that is true. And so that means that preserving the message always has to happen, that reminding each other of what is true and realigning ourselves with Scripture, mm-hmm. with Jesus um, in the way of Christ always has to be happening mm-hmm. because we're people in progress. Will you read that summary statement for us, Amanda? That prayer always has to happen. That yeah. prayer always, yes. Yeah. And this is the summary statement in our study book. Our team has created some just some statements to sort of give a summary and an overview of the day and the scriptures that we're reading that day. And this one says, as a people still being transformed into the likeness of Christ, the church has fallen short and will continue to. Until Christ's return, the church is called to both individual and corporate repentance, knowing that Christ is faithful to forgive, sustain, and perfect His people. Mm-hmm. Do we get the he who started a good work in you passage in this day? Because that's the that's, one that immediately comes to, to mind. mind. Yeah. yeah I, it's probably elsewhere in the book. But yeah. but yeah, just that promise that, you know, we are in progress. When I think of the phrase like, I'm in, a person in progress, it's my default still mm-hmm. after walking with Jesus since I was a kid is that it's I'm the one doing work to get better. It's mm-hmm. like my default feels like that self-help default, whereas according to the gospel, it is God who is transforming me. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. You mentioned that passage, Amanda. I remember being maybe 25 and coming across Psalm 138 that similarly says, you know, like that he, I don't even remember the exact words, but that he would be faithful to complete the thing that he started in you. And that was a really significant passage Mm -hmm. for me to read at that time. And just thinking like, wherever I was, and, and at that time I was in a grieving season, thinking like, oh, but that's not the end of it. You know, today's yeah. not the end, and if it is, then he has completed the work in me. But just knowing that that he is, and always, as long as I have breath in my lungs, he is completing actively the work in me and mm-hmm. in his church and in everyone around me. And I find comfort in that. Yeah, yeah. it's interesting how we, as a people in progress, you know, we're just called to work out our faith together. 
And as I think about these passages and the calls to repentance, so much of what's being spoken to is in the context of relationships, Yeah, you know, within the body of Christ for just our sins, just getting all over each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we here in my local church, our Bible study for men and women, we're walking through Colossians and even this week, just acknowledging that as we're working out our faith together, this people in progress, the reason that you know Paul and Colossians in particular is calling us to live according to who we are, to clothe ourselves with uh, Christ-like virtues of compassion, humility, kindness, to bear with each other, to yeah. forgive each other, whatever complaints, grievances, as the Lord has forgiven us, is because we often forget who we are. And we are all still on the way, which means we're going to miss it. And when we miss it, it affects other people. And when they mm-hmm. miss it, it affects us. And in one commentary I was reading, he said, if the Christian community is going to persevere, people have to be dishing out forgiveness left, right, and center because yeah. we're all just in progress. And if we are unwilling to understand the root of what's going on and also keep short accounts with each other, yeah, then that's going to cause us to drift away from our confession of faith and drift away from one another. And the way that we will endure till the end is together. And so, so much of our being a people in progress is knowing we are a part of informing and strengthening and refining each other's faith, that we're calling each other back to right belief, back to right living in love, in gentleness, in boldness even. You know, this passage in Galatians 2 Galatians is a bold letter. Paul's got some, he's got some things he is addressing (laughs) with this group of believers, and you know that he loves them very much because he is not pulling any punches. Yeah, he gets fired up. And here we see, you know, this (laughs) recounting of this confrontation with Peter (laughs) in the midst of this room. Um, He's very bold, but Peter's not walking according to the truth. And yeah. Paul just, he's not going to have it for Peter's sake and for the sake of this local church. Oh, can we say for and Pete's sake? in love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> for Pete's sake. Totally. Yes. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's calling him to repent in terms of belief and behavior. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to me over the course of the study, last week we talked about baptism, for example, as something that's meant to unify the body of Christ mm-hmm. is um, often a source of division. Not often, sometimes a source of division can be, was sure. historically a huge source of division. But our guest last week reminded us that we have all come through the water, right? Mm. Christina Edmondson was like, no, that's the yeah, thing that binds right. us. And likewise, mm. you know, we could find division very easily in our flaws. My pastor, um, when I was younger, said the church is a perfect place without flaw until you add people to it. And it's just true. Like we mm-hmm. could find a lot of, it's easy to find a reason for division, but if we found unity in the fact that every believer, like on Sunday morning or any day in between that I'll look at, I know that just like them, I also need to repent mm-hmm. today, you mm-hmm. know, right. um, to find right. unity in the fact that we're all flawed and that we're all sort of pilgrims on this journey. And yeah. like, instead of like kind of elbowing each other out, helping each other along. Amen. That's great. Yeah. That's such a powerful picture. And aren't we tempted to do that? It's just, yes. gosh, when we catch ourselves, there's so much grief. How yes. How is it that within this family, that's how we're approaching each other? Right, right. And God's so kind by His Spirit to call us back, you know, yeah. to this sense of 
we are, yes, we're called to unity and to drawing close to each other, mm-hmm. despite differences and uh, difficulty. Hey friends, I want to take a quick break to tell you about one of our podcast sponsors, August Cloth. Now listen, I am just not a good shopper. When it comes to finding new clothes, I feel like I just endlessly search for clothes that fit well, that feel amazing, and that give me the effortless style that I really want to wear. And so essentially, I just feel like I need someone to do the shopping for me. Can you relate to that at all? (laughs) This is why I'm excited to tell you about one of our favorite online boutiques. August Cloth is owned by a fellow she who reads truth named Crystal. And we've been browsing their spring and summer collections. And let me tell you, I felt instant relief because Crystal and her team curate collections that allow us to shop easily and just love what we live in. They even offer video try-ons in multiple sizes for every new style so you can see what the clothes are really going to look like on you. I mean, how great is that? Even more than cute clothes, Crystal is a fellow adoptive mama. You know that means a lot to me. And she's passionate about caring for women and children in crisis. And so August Cloth partners with local foster care agencies or pregnancy centers every year to provide support to families in need. So when you shop at August Cloth, you get to be a part of that too. So essentially what I'm saying to you is you need to check this out. After the show, jump on to augustcloth.com and use our listener discount for 15% off. The code is SRT15. And you can also follow August Cloth on Instagram or Facebook at August Cloth in new collection shop every Thursday. That's augustcloth.com and use the discount code SRT15 for 15% off your purchase. All right, back to the show. This is such an interesting reading day because in my mind and in my heart, it goes both ways, right? Like there are times where I forget that I have, I would want to say permission, but really like it's more than that. It's like the reality of my heart is that I am flawed and will be. And so there is an understanding there that is so key to the gospel. Like I am always in need of Jesus Mm -hmm. and the gospel. And so to understand that and accept that and rejoice in that and embrace that confession and repentance and turning. And also, I can just as easily resent this in other people. And it sounds nutty to say, it's, but it's like sometimes I resent the extent to which other believers need the grace of God. Yeah, <laughs> And that's bizarre. Like, that's the whole premise. When you that say it out loud, us. it sounds ridiculous, right. but it's not something that feels so ridiculous in the yeah in the dark hours. It's easy <laughs> for me to see that, like Jonah, for example, is being ridiculous. Right, like Jonah, they need God's grace, but, and now are they doing just heinous things? Yes, they are. Yeah, and do we understand why you're appalled? I yes, I get it. Yeah, and also. You know, there's no distinction (laughs) that we all are in need of a Savior. And so, yeah, this is both a comforting concept and truth to me and a very convicting Mm -hmm. truth. The readings on this day are so 
There are so many, and there a lot of them take different approaches, which I appreciate. That James 4 passage, that first sentence, what is the source of wars and fighting among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within? It's just interesting that so much of the, the infighting or the fighting that we do with others is really about the wars that are being waged within us. Mm. But also to look at that 2 Corinthians 3 passage I circled, we all, and being transformed. The the full mm-hmm. sentence is, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Mm-hmm. But that we're all being transformed is, man, it's surprising how often we need to be reminded of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think part of bearing with each other is remembering and trusting that God is at work in other people. Yes, and absolutely. the rate of growth may not be according to my standard or liking, mm-hmm. but my rate of growth is probably not serving other people in the ways that they might all prefer. And so the call to be patient with each other, trusting God's keeping this promise. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, thanks for taking us there. That's such a good reminder. Yeah. 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 I mean, if we could all consider and be honest with ourselves about the grace we have received. Yeah. And yeah. extend that grace. Yeah. To others. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Again, leads us right into the next day's reading where, you know, the church is reconciled to God. Yeah. And one another. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this conversation we just had about being a people in progress in some ways necessitate <laughs> there is something now to be reconciled yeah. that it's not just our relationship with God that is broken it is that but it's also our relationships with one another and the converse of that is also true that because we have been reconciled to God in Jesus we also can and are being and will be yeah. reconciled to one another this is unrelated to the topic but for those of you who have study books in front of you how about that art on page 167? <laughs> I, there's, it's like a photo of like some sort of maybe restaurant, but there's a like painting on the wall of like a big black bear sitting on a sofa. This is so unrelated to the podcast. A, a leather sofa. But it's... I want to zoom in. I want to pinch and zoom, zoom on zoom, that but art. I can't. And so, um, oh, if you have a digital book, you could pinch you can, and zoom. Yeah, digital books can pinch and zoom. Congratulations, anyway, digital book owners. That was the holiest thing I could say all day. Look at that <laughs> art. Look at that big black bear on the sofa. <laughs> I'll, I'll bring us back here with a <laughs> summary you. statement for the Thank day. You. Because the church is a people reconciled to God in Christ, believers can also be reconciled to one another as evidence Ooh, yeah. of the hope found in Him. That's right. So again, seeing those ways that according to who we are, living according to who we are, is not just for our own sake. Yeah. It is for the sake of the kingdom, and it serves as a signpost yeah. to tell people about our God. I love when themes emerge in like our podcast series. Mm-hmm. And I mean, we've hearkened back to this before, but that concept of right relationships, right? That Heather Thompson Day mm-hmm. introduced to us, like to live a righteous life is to have right relationship with God and right relationship with others. But then it makes me think of last week's episode with Christina Edmondson, who mm-hmm. also talked about like our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationship, yeah. that reconciliation with God. But like that's evidenced in our right Right. relationships and our reconciliation with one another. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that takes so much faith when we are, when we are out of 
right relationship when we're unreconciled, there's a reason. Yeah. And there's, you know, been a hurt or an offense or a wrong that's perceived or maybe just really legitimate. And there are a thousand reasons to not want to return to, you know, the potential of that experience again. And it's a radical thing to think about what we have received from God. That we can be in right relationship with God is supernatural. Yes. And it is a miracle of His mercy. Yes. And so to think about how hard it is in our human relationships to come back together sometimes, we have to be reoriented in the vertical. We have to be reoriented around the beauty of our relationship with God, the gift that it is, how we walk in it and enjoy it. It's not like held at a distance, like, thank you so much for this thing I'm never going to like enjoy. Right. But when we're anchored in that and we're really mindful of the mercy we've received from God, it informs the need to move toward one another and bring peace and harmony where we can. That's but right. it's hard. It is a fight of faith to yes. choose That's a good way to right relationships. Yes. And I think there is a battle that is supernatural around relationships among brothers and sisters in Christ. I think we can all affirm that. And yeah. so it's important for us to remember we're not waging against flesh and blood ultimately. And what is at stake is, I mean, the joy and peace of enjoying right relationships, but also the beauty of our witness. Yes. Our witness to the world as the church is in our unity and our love for one another. Yeah. And love covers a multitude of sins. Love is quick to forgive. It's quick to tell the truth. It's quick to extend mercy. And that is how the world recognizes us as those who follow Jesus. That's right. I was thinking last night about the word reconcile and like the absurd reality mm-hmm. that I've been reconciled to God. Like I, mm-hmm. I think my first interaction with the word reconcile was like in high school when they taught us how to reconcile our checkbooks. First of all, how's that? We're dating ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Reconcile your, your checkbook. checkbook. But like it's to reconcile your checkbook is to make it make sense, like to find like the balance. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. I, my relationship with God should not make sense. And there shouldn't be there. It is so deeply imbalanced, and the fact that he reconciled me to him is absurd. That mm-hmm. checkbook should never reconcile, mm-hmm. and that balance should never come to zero. But it does, and thus any balance I have with anybody should go straight to zero because of the way that I like. I, there's a debt that I've been forgiven that I could mm-hmm. never, ever, ever repay for myself. Yeah. And the working out of that is hard. Like it's That's not. The, it's, it's not easy just, to say. Harder it's to do. It's real easy to say. Yeah. It is very hard. Like a, to, for it to automatically go to zero because all of the justice in us. Yes. Which is you know also a reflection of God. He is a God. He's not just a God of justice. He is mm-hmm. justice. Yes. That feels Good. not right. But I'm going to read this passage yeah, from please. Ephesians two eleven through eighteen. So then, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ." For He is our peace, 
who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. I love that image mm. that because it's almost a hostile image, like a tearing mm-hmm. down the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Mm. That's this is, the word of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah. I mean, this is, and Paul <laughs> Paul says that probably 75 different ways uh-huh. in his letters, and I need every one of them. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, once you were alienated, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. Like that just like, mm-hmm. it's even. <laughs> mm. And I don't know how. Yeah. It's beautiful. Oh, that concept, Anne Lincoln, of our relationships with one another being our witness to the world. I love how Paul puts that in Second Corinthians, the mm-hmm. living letters imagery. Oh, yes. Isn't that yes. cool? Ooh, somebody read that. Yeah. Hmm. Anne Lincoln, will you yeah, read I'm, that? I'm Second Corinthians 3. Yeah. yeah. It says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are Christ's letter, delivered by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul the poet. It's powerful. Yeah. Really powerful. It was kind of poetic there. Yeah. Look at him go. (laughs) Little Paul. (laughs) That we are Christ's letter. Like, we are his love letter. Oh, you all. We're going to link in the show notes to one of my favorite songs to come out of the last couple years. But our friend Taylor Linhart wrote it. It's called Poetry. And the chorus says, you are his poetry and you won't waste a word. (sighs) I mean, it gets me. That's not the entire chorus. Sure, sure. It is it could be. a beautiful song, and you're going to love it. I can't wait for you to hear it. Man. And you hear Paul's tenderness for these believers. I mean, he mm-hmm. he loves them, and yeah. he has written to them strongly in previous letters. He's needed to bring a word of correction. And now we're going to transition into thinking about the church as a shepherded flock. And here there is a shepherd yeah. who is tending those that he loves. He does not want them to go astray. Mm-hmm. And yet, even in firm instruction, you hear the tenderness of his heart for these people that he's laboring for. Yeah. I, think that's, I think that's important to remember about Paul in particular. You know, Paul's mm-hmm. got hard, he's got hard words, but it is for the sake of the faith of these local churches, these young believers who are facing opposition and hardship and wanting them to hold fast to their confession to persevere in every way and to flourish in hostile culture. No matter where these churches were situated, very hostile to this message of Christ and this way and knowing, just as Jesus did, that they were sheep that needed really strong shepherds. Yeah. Yeah. A hostile environment in a way that I think we, or for sure I, struggle to understand sitting where I sit in Mm -hmm. space and time, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this day 32 reading, 
a shepherded flock, says that Christ calls believers to tend, care for, guide, and serve the church. Leaders are called to a high standard of character and behavior as under shepherds, Mm -hmm. responsible to Christ for how they care for his sheep. And, you know, we pointed out when we read back in, I think it was week two, yeah, we read that the church is the shepherd's flock. So the church as a whole, all of us are part of Jesus' flock, right? The good shepherd. And so the order of this study has been intentional. And so now we have gotten to this moment where we're discussing that there are also under shepherds. I like that word. I do too. I like that a lot. And, And so... If you missed that conversation or that reading day, you can go back and find it in the reading plan or however you're engaging with the study. But it's important to remember that what is said here assumes that truth or takes into account that truth that all of the shepherds are responsible to the capital S shepherd yeah, or accountable yeah, to that's good. The, the capital S shepherd. I even like that in that summary statement, it says... Christ calls believers, like as a sweeping, it's not Christ calls a couple of pastors and then everybody is just a sheep. Yeah. But like I think about the work that you do, Ann Lincoln, in church Mm -hmm. vocationally with children's ministry, but even like everyone, because that's work that can't be done by one person. And I think it's good to remember that all believers are both sheep and shepherds, you know, Mm. of whatever size flock. But what is it like to be, you know, a shepherd of a flock of little people? Yeah. And their parents. And as a single woman, right? Like a single Mm -hmm. woman in the church who shepherds and molds the minds of America's youth. But, you know, like (laughs) gives them... No big deal, guys. (laughs) No big deal. No pressure. I'm feeling sweaty. No pressure, Ann Lincoln. (laughs) But in some ways, I would imagine to Mm -hmm. give them kind of what you didn't have the opportunity to have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's a great question. You know, we are... As those who lead in the church, there is a sense of shepherding that's a little bit Mm -hmm. distinct from sheep-to-sheep care. And (laughs) even those who are in particular offices, and the office of elder is Mm -hmm. set apart in a particular way to shepherd a flock within a local church to have oversight of particular believers, and then others who are appointed as deacons, deaconesses, and other leaders to be a part of that shepherding work. Mm -hmm. And it is, I mean, my experience as a minister in the local church as a part of shepherding this little flock of God in particular, it's been a joy. And it is also, it's a labor. Mm -hmm. It's a labor of love. It's a labor of time. It's a labor of carrying burdens with people and for people and having to reckon with your own limits and seemingly limitless need or opportunity yeah, and really trusting that ultimately each of these little sheep, each of these parts of Christ's body are part of Christ's body. He is the head of all things for the church. That's right. And that's a passage in the end of Ephesians 1. You know, it says that Christ is the head of all things for the church, his body. And I remember reading that early in my time in ministry, and it brought me such peace. And certainly I bear significant responsibility within my role. I'm happy for that. 
it's not the same kind of weight and responsibility that our elders carry for our church. But even in where I was in ministry early on, that became my go-to anti-anxiety verse for the church. Hmm. Wow. Christ is the head of all things for That's his good. body. That is good. Yeah. He is on the job. And just as <laughs> yes. the statement says, these leaders in whatever role, office, for whatever season, they are called to high standard. And they are responsible and accountable to Christ for how they care mm-hmm. for the sheep. So I am certainly accountable to our members. I'm accountable to our elders, but I am accountable to Christ for how I steward my mm-hmm. role and responsibility um, within shepherding this little flock. Yeah, mm-hmm. I appreciate that so much. Just the reminder that you, know, which is kind of the capital S shepherd concept, mm-hmm. but that the like that Christ is the head of all things, and there's accountability in that, and there's also there's also a covering in that, and to acknowledge that. The work is work, Mm -hmm. that it is labor. Mm -hmm. Like that is the right word (laughs) to use. And so, you know, a lot of times I think when we are just getting involved in our local church family, or maybe we've had a season of uninvolvement, or maybe we just haven't ever been involved. And that entry point can feel, I think, pretty maybe intimidating on one hand, but then also maybe it feels a little too optional. Do you know what I'm oh, saying? Yeah. Like where we just think we don't count ourselves as shepherds or as participants. We don't think of ourselves necessarily as accountable. Yeah. For serving. And sometimes we see ourselves as consumers. Yeah. Instead of participants. And mm-hmm. you know, and in, we won't read the full passage, but in this day we'll read a passage from Matthew 20. And one of the things that Jesus says to his disciples is, he says, you know that the rulers, this is verse 25, of the Gentiles rule it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, Mm -hmm. and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve Mm. and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, that concept of service, and it's interesting here that Jesus is kind of putting suffering and service hand in hand, (laughs) that it is a, there is a cost to Mm -hmm. it, but we are called to it. Yeah, I totally agree. That is, you know, the giving of ourselves one to another in love and even Jesus' example in the example that he's setting in John chapter 13 of washing the disciples' feet. And it's, you know, representative of how he is about to wash them in every way from the impurity of sin. But he's setting an example that you would go and do likewise, that you would humble yourselves and look to the good of others, even those who will betray you and take the lowest place. Mm, mm-hmm. And this passage in Matthew, I love this passage, and it's so challenging. These sweet disciples and this mama, you know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but there is, I think what we need to notice here is there's ambition. And these disciples, you know, bless them. We ought to be drawn to them with such compassion. And Jesus loved them so dearly, and he called them for a reason. And the things that they learned on the way to laying their lives down to shepherd the flock of mm-hmm. God, you know, that that was their road to walk. But 
there's something to be careful about, to be slow, to have ambition to particular roles and responsibilities in church leadership. Mm-hmm. And I think Jesus is highlighting here, you want to be the greatest. You want to be seated in these positions of high authority and acclaim. But what you do not realize is that to love and lead and be in a place of greatness and responsibility means you serve. You submit yourself to the needs of others. That I don't know how much we connect leadership and authority with responsibility that brings weight and service and laying your life down for the good of other people. That's what marked Jesus's authority, his leadership. And for those who are aspire, I mean, the Bible says to aspire to be an elder is a good thing. That's part of what marks a calling to eldership is a desire to lead, but to lead from a place of love and serving, not an aspiration to lead for acclaim and to be seated in a position of grandeur. Or, you know, like, I want to be seated at your right or your left, Jesus. Like, that's where I want to be. If that's the aspiration, I think Jesus is meaning to check their intention and their longevity. Yeah, (laughs) You just don't make it if that's your motivation for serving in the church. Because these little sheep, we just bite and kick each other. We don't really know what's going on. (laughs) And it's hard to endure in church leadership. And certainly, if there's a mixture of motive, then all kinds of crazy things can happen. That's where you yeah. see you know, church leaders of whatever you know status or station begin to devour the sheep that they're called to love and serve and make decisions that actually underserve their good. So yep. it's important yep. to have a, a sobriety of mind when we think yes. about positions of leadership in the church. Well, this Act 20 passage is sobering. Mm. (laughs) It's 28 through 31. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Mm. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I have never stopped warning each one of you with tears. But that, you know, it's not just, it's guarding the flock from the outside, it's guarding the flock within. (laughs) That we can turn, because we are flawed people and Mm -hmm. sinful people, because the enemy is real, and seeks to devour. And sometimes mm-hmm. he will use us to devour each mm-hmm. other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we go back to our first reading day of this week that the church is called to prayer That's and right. to pray for mm-hmm. our leaders to see what a noble task that is, what a challenging task that is. And I love what you said, Ann Lincoln, about what motivation might bring a person mm-hmm. to a place of leadership, but also even in that First Thessalonians 5, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to give recognition to those who labor among you and to mm-hmm. lead you in the Lord and admonish you, to regard them very highly in love because of their work. Like I think that there's also this we mentioned earlier, like not to approach the church as a consumer, you know, but to see the work that is being done by those who are laboring on behalf of the flock and to recognize it and to support and give thanks and to mm-hmm. pray for them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. The final reading day 
Not just of, of this week. That's right. Of the reading plan is the church is a persevering people. And when I tell you that I, like I underlined that. every word, <laughs> I can see it. Of, I'm the witness. This summary statement. I mean it. Sometimes two underlines, sometimes a circle. Yeah, there's but a lot of ink spilled. <laughs> there's a lot of ink here. Summary statement. But it's a loaded statement. Listen to this. Despite persecution, internal conflict, shortcomings, sin, rejection, and suffering. That's quite a list, you guys. Mm-hmm. The church endures because it is Christ who sustains it. Thanks Oof. be to God. Right. Amen. That is not is scripture that I just read. No. But every word of that comes from. Comes from. Like mm-hmm. it is, we see this mm-hmm. in scripture. And we'll read about it in this day's reading. That's right. And John, I mean, starting with John 15, 19 through 20, where Jesus says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it. The world hates you. Mm -hmm. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant, there it is, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Mm. And we see, we'll read some of the stories in this day, but we see throughout the New Testament where the church is persecuted. And because of God's goodness, God not only sustains the church, He grows the yes. church through persecution. We saw that so often in Acts, mm-hmm. right? That they would scatter, and so the gospel would go with them. Because of the persecution. Right. Yeah. Man, that First Peter chapter 4 passage, starting in verse 12, says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you mm-hmm. to test you, as if something unusual were happening to you. <laughs> Instead, rejoice as you share in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may also rejoice with great joy when His glory is revealed. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Mm -hmm. I appreciate so much the work that our team did. At the end of this book, there is an extra on page, starting on page 168, called The Persecution of God's People. Yeah, don't miss it because it's after the last reading day. But it just kind of asks the question, you know, where in Scripture are God's people persecuted? And the answer is Mm -hmm. almost everywhere. Mm-hmm. But it's a really beautiful several-page look at sort of that journey of persecution for God's mm-hmm. people and the way that God uses persecution to move forward His work. In the world and also in us, yes. right? Yes. And Lincoln, how do you—I'm reading this scripture through new eyes, thinking about your work that you do with children and families and how to be a persevering people for, you know— Little minds, like for kids to understand, you know, things like suffering in the world and mm-hmm. and to why imagine you walk with families through really dark times. And what comes to your mind as you're reading these passages? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, the thinking about suffering and trying to shepherd kids through an understanding of suffering, certainly that's challenging. They ask the most basic questions that we ask as adults. How is this bad thing? How do I reconcile this bad and painful thing, this scary thing, with the goodness of God? These things don't match in my Mm -hmm. mind, in my world. And the complexity of drawing kids into a framework for suffering and the effects of sin on this side of heaven, it's challenging but beautiful because really 
our anchor point is the character of God, the nature and character of God. That's always our starting point. And Mm -hmm. God is good. And the world that he has made is still good. And the effects of sin show us that sin is really bad, which magnifies the love of God in Christ. And what's coming for us is a world free of sin and all of its effects. And part of the way that sin plays out is there is a very real spiritual and physical opposition to the gospel, to those who love and trust Jesus. And that's always been the case, as you've highlighted so beautifully in the study. And it's still the case today. Mm-hmm. And one thing that we try to do on a you know semi-regular basis is highlight for kids in our context here in Texas that there are people living all over the world, some of whom know Jesus, who mm-hmm. are gathering in expressions of churches similar to what they're doing. And there are those who don't know Jesus. There are many places in the world where kids like you, they don't, they've never heard the name of Jesus. They've never seen a Bible. They have no ability to know the true story of God, the true story of the God who made them. And in all of those places to the ends of the earth, there are those who do name the name of Jesus, who are marked by him. And the cost of being a Christian, of gathering with other Christians, is much higher. Their life and their world looks different. And not to elevate one circumstance over another in the way that we, you know, we talk about persecution here in the West, I think we feel weird about it because by and large, we're not suffering in the same way for our faith. We're not risking life Mm -hmm. and death and imprisonment the way that our brothers and sisters are in other parts of the world. That's Mm -hmm. very real. And that ought to be something that we're thinking about and talking about often. And it ought to anchor our prayers for our brothers and sisters who are being held. They are being, their faith will endure till the end because of Christ And part of how God will do that is faithfulness of us to pray for them, that their faith would not fail, that God would deliver them from the mouths of lions and from the hands Mm. of men and women who seek to do them harm and evil. I'm sort of wandering all over the place, but in terms of orienting kids and families to the effects of sin and also trying to invite them into a partnership with the other uh, sheep globally and other members of Christ's body who are suffering very real threat of harm for the sake of trusting Jesus is something that we we're thinking about often. Yeah. yeah, man, I love that. And Lincoln, thank you. I'm thinking about, I mean, as we come to the end of this episode, I'm thinking about where we began in this series. Mm. And I'm thinking about our friends listening. And y'all, we stated our goal at the beginning, you know, that in creating a series called This is the Church, that we would find that identity, what our identity is as a people and as individuals, right? Mm -hmm. And that finding a clear picture of our identity would inform our practice. And I think that, you know, I look back on where we've, how far we've come, where we started, you know, saying like, we're the people of God, we're Mm -hmm. established by Jesus, and like, we're set apart. And that those realities are our realities mm-hmm. and that we would live according to who we are. And as we went through these weeks, like thinking about the, the church is the temple of the living God, that we're the household of faith, that we're commissioned by Christ, that we are a people called to prayer. All of these things is being like preserving the message and being a persevering people. I feel just so invigorated. Yeah. After five weeks of scripture teaching me, 
who I am and who the church is. And I don't want to just know that. I don't want that just to be head knowledge. I want that mm-hmm. to be something that informs my practice and informs who I am. I want, it makes me want to dig into my local church more, to know the practices of my local church and like and why, and like to participate and to serve and to pray for my shepherds. And I have been so encouraged by this series. And y'all listening, I hope that you have too. It's hard to know even where to, as in Amanda's words, it's hard to know where to land the plane. Amanda loves an aviation reference. I do. I do. She likes a 30,000 foot and she likes to land the plane. I don't I have some go-to metaphors. Yeah, it's I true. Like them. I Sorry like about them. that. But more than anything, I just want y'all listening to take quiet time. Obviously, I want you to read these readings this week and to complete this series with us. But as you do, sit quietly, answer those response questions at the mm-hmm. end of each week in the book that really ask you, how does this change how I live, mm-hmm. right? So there are like four different passages in this book that could be our benediction for the series. And I'm going to let Amanda Bible Williams pick a benediction. I'm going to choose. She's flipping through right now. I'm going to choose the actual benediction from it's the It's hard because I saw you also putting a big red heart next to the Believer's Triumph I did. in Romans 8. <laughs> I mean, just everybody go read Romans 8 yeah. after we finish yeah. here. Yeah. But here in Ephesians 3.20, you're going to hear the word church, and I want you to hear it. But this is a passage that I think we often hear spoken over us. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations Mm. forever and ever. Amen. 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 Yes, Lord. In Lincoln, what a wonderful guest you are and yes. what a fun person to read scripture with and yeah, talk about been, the church with. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Grateful for the work that you do and just a sweet way to land the plane <laughs> on this series. <laughs> uh, y'all, you know what's coming next week. We are going to read all week. Don't miss that part where we read Be Women in the Word of God every day this week. But next Monday morning, we are opening our Bibles or our study books to the book of Exodus. And your friend Jen Wilkin will be here. And Jen Wilkin will be joining us on the podcast. We're very excited to have her as a guest and to chat that first couple chapters of Exodus with her. But until next week, Ann Lincoln, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles. <laughs>